Recording in progress. Rabbi Shaw and Rabbi Landa and Rabbi Gilbert. Always wonderful to collaborate together and to join in the learning of Torah. Um, and especially to learn from a yid of the caliber of Rabbi Gladstein. Um, it is really a great privilege to join together with all of you and to welcome Rabbi Gladstein um, to our Torah Tuesdays. And what an auspicious time to have Torah Tuesdays. Uh, tonight is already area of Yom Kippur for us. And uh, please God, and, and we're very grateful to Rabbi Gladstein because as Rabbi Landau said, is a little bit of a busy time now for all of us robotic. Um and for our Gladstein to give us the time and uh, to give us the opportunity to hear from him at these very important moments as we prepare for the awesome and holy day of Yom Kippur. So we are very grateful to him and of course so grateful to Rabbi Akiva and his wife Elisheva Gilbert for hosting the webinar. We really appreciate their kindness in facilitating um, our Torah Tuesdays and uh, one more thank you a very big thank you to Johnny Rogoff for uh, arranging and organizing and being the man behind the scenes who does all the heavy lifting um, and enabling us to have the schus to hear from Rabbi Glatzi. Rabbi Glatzi is speaking on Yom Kippur Day of Eternity. Okay, thank you so much Rabbi Saxton for the very warm introduction as always. Bershus uh, uh, distinguished Rabbanim. Thank you, Rabbi Gilbert, for hosting this event. Rabbi Shaw, Rabbi Landau. You know, many people in the States listen with uh, very keen interest to the introduction to the Torah Tuesdays because I've gotten many comments that the Rabbanim of South Africa are so gracious and pay such tribute to guest Rabbanim that it's really an eye-opener for a lot of the Rabbanim uh, back in the States. So when this shear goes down, the, mo- the most listened-to part of the shear will be the intro. And if we could suggest, there's so much beautiful Torah in South Africa today. It's really remarkable. Uh, how is that? How is that possible? But we know Derech Eretz Torah. The Torah stands on good midos, on courtesy, on manners, and the great Derech that your community always displays and your graciousness is such a wonderful foundation to the Torah that proliferates in uh, your region. I want to thank my dear friend, Rav Yonasan Rogoff, uh, who now had the privilege of enjoying his friendship for uh, many years for helping organize today's events as well as to all my good friends. You can't hear anything? Are you able to hear me, Rabbis? Okay. <clears throat> As well as to my good friends, uh, I always thank Rabbi Ilan Rabinowitz and Rabbi Neil Appel, and to all of my Yedidim in South Africa, thank you for joining today. Now, I tell you the truth, <clears throat> during this season, I have many opportunities to speak. There are many tshuva drushas, and my prepared drusha, I canned it. I'm not giving it now, because I already gave it too many times, and I don't want this to be too rehearsed. So I'm going to do something novel. I never gave this before. So in your merit, in your zechus, we have almost a uh, hundred people. B'zchus harabim. We're going to do something a little bit different today. And Be'ezus uh, Hashem, we hope it will be meaningful. We know that the Yom Kippur service begins with the following Pasuk. 
Light is sown for the righteous, and for the straight-hearted there is joy. That is how Yom Kippur begins in services around the world. Why do we say this Pasuk? What does this Pasuk have to do with Yom Kippur? Why do we kick off Yom Kippur with the recitation of Here's another interesting thing. If you were to scan through Shas, Mishnayis, and pick the Mishnah that captures what Yom Kippur is all about, we would have to go to the Mishnah at the end of Masech Yuma. Amar Rabbi Akiva, Ashrechem Yisrael, says Rabbi Akiva, fortunate are the Jewish people. Lefnei mi atem mitaharim, before whom do you purify yourselves? Umi mitaher eschem, and who purifies you? Avichem Shabbat Shamayim, it's your Father in Heaven. That's what Yom Kippur is. We stand before our loving Father, and He purifies us. Why did we need Rabbi Akiva to describe what Yom Kippur is. Is Rabbi Akiva teaching anything novel? Why couldn't it be Amar Rabbi Tarfain, Amar Rabbi Gamliel, Amar Rabbi Yehoshua, Amar Rabbi Meir? Why Amar Rabbi Akiva? Ashrechem Yisrael Lefnei. Is this really such a novelty that it's ascribed specifically to Rabbi Akiva? Is Yom Kippur more connected with Rabbi Akiva than anybody else? We know one thing about Rabbi Akiva, and a lot of us rabbis, we uh, we suffer from this phenomenon. I don't know about, I know the rabbis in South Africa have very um, attentive audiences, but here in America it could happen, especially on a Shabbos afternoon after a Kiddush. You know, people get a little tired, and the Medrash tells us that Rabbi Akiva was doyresh, he was expounding, he was teaching, and his students, Bikesh Lehisnamneim, they started to doze off, they started to slumber, they started to really fall asleep. So Rabbi Akiva wanted to pick, pull the best rabbit out of his hat, he wanted to really wake them up and tell them something so exciting. So Rabbi Akiva said, why was Esther Zoicha, why did Esther merit to rule over 127 Medinois in the Zuchus of Sarah Imenu, our righteous matriarch who lived 127 righteous years? And somehow this woke up the Talmidim. I mean, come on, between me and you, is really is that really that interesting? I mean, if, if I was tired and my rabbi said that in a shir, I would be out cold. I mean, mathematics and calculations, Sarah, Esther, I mean, that's interesting. If that was Rabbi Akiva's best humorous Torah portion, I mean... Why? What is Rabbi Akiva teaching his students? What exactly is the great lesson of Rabbi Akiva? Why was Esther rule over 127 Medinos in the merit of Sarah's 127 righteous years? So the Chidushe Harim has a phenomenal understanding of this Medrash. Chidushe Harim says as follows, that if Esther ruled over a country in the merit of a righteous year of Sarah Imenu, that means in the merit of every month of Sarah's righteous years, Esther ruled over perhaps a state. And in the merit of every one of Esther's righteous days, Esther ruled over perhaps a city. And in the merit of every one of Esther's righteous hours, of Sarah's righteous hours, Esther ruled over a district. 
and in the merit of every one of Esther, uh, Sarah's righteous minutes, Esther ruled over a town. And the merit of every second of Sarah's life, Esther ruled over an entire neighborhood. What Rabbi Akiva was telling his Talmidim is, look how precious one moment of life is. Every moment has such inestimable value. Every moment is so precious. Every moment is the most valuable commodity we have in this world. For every second of Sarah's life, Esther ruled over an entire neighborhood. My dear Talmidim, I know you're tired, and I know you just want to catch a moment or two of, of, of rest and slumber. But every moment of life is so valuable. If you miss even a moment of my shir, the, the repercussions could be drastic. Rabbi Akiva was emphasizing the value of time. And now we're still entitled to ask, why was it that Rabbi Akiva, of all the Tanoim, is teaching the world the value of time? And I think this lesson, the value of time, is something that the modern world has no understanding of at all. Give you an example. You know, we, look, we turn to Chumash Bereshis. Soon we're going to be starting Bereshis again. And we speak about the creation of the luminaries, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And if I were to ask you, what is the primary function of the Ma'orais, the primary function of the luminaries? I think almost everybody would say the primary function is to give light and perhaps to give warmth. And if you examine the simple reading of the Psukim, the Pasuk says, There should be luminaries in the heavens. For signs, for times, for days, for shanim, for years. And they should be luminaries. Says Rashi, by the way, they'll also serve as luminaries. Rav Simcha Wasserman, I know he had a very strong connection to your community. He points out, it almost sounds like, the fact that the sun and the moon give light is the secondary function of the luminaries. How could that be? Isn't it the primary function of the luminaries? Says Rav Simcha Wasserman, of course not. The primary function of the sun and the moon is to serve as a universal clock to tell time to teach the world the value of time. More important than light, more important than warmth, is the passing of time. Because that is our most valuable commodity that we have in this world. You know, if we examine, say, for Yonah, and Yonah was on the ship and there was a terrible storm, and Yonah realized it was because of him, and the only way the storm would be put to ease is if they picked him up and they threw him off the boat, and Yonah uses the famous expression, Sa'uni bahatiluni el-hayam. Raise me up and throw me into the sea. And one particular Yom Kippur, Rabbi Chasman, was speaking with his students. And he pointed out, why does Yonah use the expression, lift me up and throw me into the sea? Just throw me into the sea. Why does, why does he need to be lifted up and thrown into the sea? And Rabbi Chasman said, because even though Yoyna knew that he needed to end his life, 
But if he could buy just one more second of life, if he could just delay his death by one moment, every, every moment of life is so precious, is so valuable. So he says, I know I need to die, but do me a favor, don't throw me straight into the waters. So Lift me up and throw me into the sea. So you say, what could you possibly do in one moment of life? Listen to a Me'iri. Listen to the comments of the great Me'iri, one of the Rishayim. We know there's a halacha, Masechta Yuma. If there's an avalanche, if a building collapses and somebody's underneath, even if they have the halachic status of a goises, as somebody whose death is imminent and they have no strength left to live and there's no question that their life will not last more than a few moments, are you allowed to desecrate the Shabbos to to try to rescue the person, prolong their life even by a few moments, even though you know their death is inevitable. They will not survive. The halacha is mefakchin olav hagal. The halacha is your allowed to uncover the mound, the avalanche, the collapse, in order to prolong the life of someone even for one moment. The value of Jewish life. But you'll ask, what could we do in one moment? Listen to the words of the Me'iri. Says the Me'iri, In one moment, a Jew could turn around his entire existence, his entire eternity. One could have thoughts of tshuva and transform oneself from a rasha, from a wicked person, to a tzaddik, to a precious, righteous person, in one moment of time. And even though we know this individual does not even have more than one moment left, but maybe if we extend their life by one moment, they'll do tshuva. And if they do tshuva, their entire eternity has been transformed. I remember my great-grandmother, Aleha HaShalom, was in the hospital in her final days. And my father, Zolgazunsein, and my uncle went to spend Shabbos with her. And I believe she was on a ventilator and she was completely unresponsive. So they're there just to watch out for her, to make sure that the doctors are doing whatever they could do. And they're sitting in the room and they started to sing Zmirois of Shabbos. And my great-grandmother sort of roused from her semi-comatose state. And she began to wave her hands and, and bob and participate in Zmiroi Shabbos. Do you know what kind of mitzvah it is to sing Zmiroi on Shabbos? The Sefer Hasidim writes, it's kemat Raisa. It's almost biblical. Because it says in Eov that Eov cursed himself that there should not be found any song in his home. Says the Sefer Hasidim. So we see the definition of klala is the absence of song. So if the Torah says, that God blessed the seventh day, in what way is the seventh day blessed? It must be, it's, it's manifest through song. So when we sing on Shabbos, we're being mekayim, we're fulfilling, So my great-grandmother, in her final moments of life, she participated in Zmirah Shabbos. You know what kind of value that is? You know what you could accomplish in one moment of life? Even without full consciousness, you could sing Zmirah on Shabbos. The value of every moment of life. 
By the way, the mashkiach of the Slabotka Yeshiva, Rabbi Avram Grzynski, in the Holocaust, he was beat by the Nazis and he was put in the hospital. But he begged his Talmidim to drag him out and carry him into the ghetto because he knew the Nazis would burn down the hospital. And if he made his way to the ghetto, he may live an extra few moments. And he said, Reb Leib Chasmin taught that Yonah said, Raise me up and throw me into the sea. So from there we see how precious every moment of life is, what we could accomplish in every moment of life. So you say, what could we do already in a moment of life? What could we accomplish? You know, in a certain sense, the modern world has no understanding of this concept, the concept of value of time. Probably, in a certain sense, one of the biggest challenges that we have today is the endless amount of time that's wasted on our phones. I know that in March in 2017, they did a a study in the UK. What's the average amount of time that people spend on their phones a month? And in 2017, the study showed people were spending 65 and a half hours on the phone a month. That's over two hours a day. Obviously, it fluctuated based on age group, but that was two, that was three years ago. February 2018, Time Magazine discovered that the average American checks their phone 47 times a day. My studies show that almost anyone I've asked say says they check their phone more than 47 times an hour. And I think most people would, will acknowledge that. So you say, what else am I supposed to do? Or how about this? People find themselves in an elevator. Well, great. Why waste the time going up in the elevator when I could just be on the phone? Or I'm waiting for my kids outside of school in carpool. I could just be on my phone. Or I'm waiting in the store. I could just be on the phone. And the Yetzer Hara has successfully co-opted and stolen from us our most valuable commodity. And that is minutes. You know how many minutes the Yetzer Hara has stolen from us on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on an annual basis. You say, what else am I supposed to be doing? You know, if you open up the first page of the Mishnah Bura, the Mishnah Bura quotes from the Sefer HaChinuch, that there's something called Sheish Mitzvahs Tamidiyais, six constant mitzvahs. That the Mishnah Bura says, every moment we think about these six ideas, we fulfill a mitzvah in the Torah, that the reward and the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is eternal and immeasurable. And the six constant mitzvahs are to believe that there's one God, that there's no other God, that Hashem has no other parts, the mitzvah to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the mitzvah to fear Hashem, not to stray after one's heart or after one's eyes, not to be led astray of immoral or idolatrous thoughts. The Sefer HaChinuch says every moment that a person thinks about these six concepts, one earns eternal reward that one cannot imagine, one cannot measure. And what does the Yetzirah do? Every free moment we have, 
You know how many mitzvot the Yitzhahar steals from us? On the hour, daily. You're waiting outside a carpool. It's six easy mitzvot you could grab. You're on the line to the store. You're driving, you're walking, you're sitting. You're in an elevator. But no, says the Yitzhahara. Check your emails and check your WhatsApps and check your notifications and check your missed calls. Nobody's at, Nobody's calling you. Don't worry. It's nobody important. They just want your money probably. Nobody's asking for anything important. You know, the if you look in the Hakdam of Shulchan Arach, the Prima Gadim wrote a Hakdam to Shulchan Arach called Psicha Kailelas. There he writes that the six constant mitzvahs are analogous to the six Are Miklat, the six cities of refuge. The same way that if somebody needed to run away to a city of refuge, if let's say they killed accidentally, and they step one foot out of the city of refuge, they're endangering their life because our protection, the safety is in the city of refuge. God also gave the Jew six cities of refuge, six states of mind, states of being, that when we're focused on these ideas, we're secure, we're safe, we're connected to Hashem, we're connected to Olam Haba. But the moment we, so to speak, let the Sahara strip us, take away from us all of these precious moments, these minutes, these opportunities to connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're endangering ourselves. We're endangering the identity of our existence. I want to share with you an amazing teaching that was introduced by the altar of Kelm. It's really a mind-boggling teaching. We don't quite know what the source of this teaching is, but he said as follows. He said, God created the whole world for one purpose, that we bring honor to Him. It was worth it for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to allow the world to exist for 6,000 years just so that one Jew could respond, Baruch Hu Uvaruch Shemai. If a Jew, if only one Jew was ever created, and he lived for one minute, and he responded one time, blessed is he, blessed is his name, the entire creation was worthwhile. But says the author of Kelm, as valuable as Baruch Hu Baruch Shemay is, one Amen is a thousand times more valuable. And as valuable as Amen is, one Amen Yehishmei Rabbah, is even more, is a thousand times more valuable than one Amen. Wow, that's a lot. That means Amen Yehishme Rabbah is a thousand times a thousand more valuable than something that could have been the purpose of all of creation. But says the author of Kelm, as valuable as Amen Yehishme Rabbah is, one word of Limud Hatayra is a thousand times more valuable then Amen Yehishmei Rabbah. And you know the Chafetz Chaim made a calculation that in one minute a person could learn 200 words. Do you understand the value of a minute? Do you understand the value of a moment? In one minute you could learn 200 words. Each word is a billion times more valuable than Baruch Hu U Baruch Shemay. Rabbi Akiva turns to his dear Talmidim and he says to his Talmidim, I know you're tired, but Hayoim Kotsar Vahamalacha Maruba, life is short, but there's a lot to do. You may not value one minute of time, 
But I tell you now, every moment of Sarah's life was so valuable that in that merit, Esther ruled over an entire neighborhood. Please don't miss out this word of Limud HaTorah. It's so precious. It's so valuable. Rabbi Akiva taught the world the value of time. You know why Rabbi Akiva taught the world the value of time? Let's analyze the word Akiva. The Ramami Pano, one of the great Italian Mikubalim, he reveals that Akiva is Rashi Tevois, is an acrostic, is an amanic. Yesh koina oilamai bisha achas. One can acquire the world to come in one moment. That's what the word Akiva means. And I bet Rabbi Gilbert's going to like that. Yesh koina oilamai bisha achas. The word Akiva. The word Akiva. Is Yesh so the Ben Yehoyada says, and even if you spell Akiva, Ayin, Kuf, Yud, Vez, Hey, it still stands for, the Ben Yehoyada says, Yesh, Koina, Oilamai, Bisha, Ha'achas. So however you spell Akiva, the name Akiva, we know in Judaism a name captures the essence of that which it, it refers to. Rabbi Akiva personified the concept of the value of every moment of life, the value of every minute that HaKadosh Baruch Hu blesses us with. And it had to be that way, because Rabbi Akiva started so late in life. He didn't start learning until 40 years old. And yet, in his final years, he reached the Madrega that in a certain dimension was greater even than Moshe Rabbeinu. How did he do it in such a short amount of time? Rabbi Akiva was able to raise himself up from an Amha Oretz, who hated Tamid HaChachamim and elevated himself to be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. How did Rabbi Akiva do this? The answer is Rabbi Akiva personified. Yesh Kaina Oilamai B'Sha'achas. He didn't waste a day. He didn't waste an hour. He didn't waste a minute. And he told his Talmidim, please don't sleep. I don't want you to miss out. And perhaps if it was any other Rebbe, they would turn to the Rebbe and say, Rebbe, come on. You never, you never take it easy. But Rabbi Akiva was the one who, if there's anyone who valued and showed the, the importance of time, was there anyone greater than Rabbi Akiva who when he finally understood and recognized his mission in this world, did not let one moment fade away. Yesh kaina oilamai b'sha achas. Rabbi Akiva represents the value of time. So here it's Yom Kippur, and you say, come on, I have a whole year's worth of, you know, goodies, of bad stuff that I did this year. You expect me to make major changes in one day? You expect, you expect in one day of Yom Kippur to really make it, what could you accomplish in a day already? What could you possibly uh, change in one day? Really? Is today, is Yom Kippur going to make such a major impact on my life? And therefore we begin Yom Kippur. Or Zarua Lat Sadik Yishrei Leif Simcha. Huh? Oh, I want to tell you something. There's a Sefer from one of the Rishonim. The name of the Sefer is Or Zarua, a Rabbi Yitzchak of Vina. And he was writing a book of how to spell names in Gittin, in documents of divorce, and he had a question how to spell the name Akiva until God showed him in a dream the following Pasuk. 
Oyer, Zarua, Latzadik, Ule Yishre, Lev, Simcha. And he finally understood, if you look at the last letters of each word of this Pasuk, Or ends in a Resh, Zarua ends in an Ayin, Latzadik ends in a Kuf, Ule Yishre ends in a Yud, Lev ends in a Bez, Simcha ends in a Hey. It spells out Rebbe Akiva. I would suggest that Yom Kippur begins with a hidden remez to Rabbi Akiva to make sure we understand what we could accomplish on this day. How we could take advantage of even one moment of Yom Kippur. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta writes that if we take advantage of even a minute of Yom Kippur to make the most minor change, it will bring us eternal salvation. So Yom Kippur begins with a hidden tribute to the great Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva. Yes, it's only one day, but you know what you could do in a day? You could change your life in one moment. And perhaps that is why Rabbi Akiva was the Tana who taught us the importance of Yom Kippur by teaching Klal Yisrael, Amar Rabbi Akiva, Ashrechem Yisrael, this is the great teaching of Rabbi Akiva. But friends, fasten your seatbelts. Because we just got started here. I'm going to get you out in time. But brace yourself for the following. Rabbi Akiva is much more connected to Yom Kippur than you ever thought. When did Rabbi Akiva pass away? So, if we look through Shas, we look in Talmud Bavli, the end of Masech Brachos, one thing we know, the last word on his lips were Shema Yisrael. Which, by the way, is how we end Yom Kippur. And the Gemara tells us Rabbi Akiva was teaching Torah Barabim, he was teaching t- Torah publicly. And the, the Romans had ruled that anyone who teaches Torah will be murdered and they took Rabbi Akiva out to be tortured and they raked his flesh with combs of steel. And at the last moments of his life, he died saying, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Aleikeinu, Hashem Echad. And they said, Rabbi Akiva, even at a moment like this, you're still unifying the name of God. Rabbi Akiva said, I've been waiting my whole life to accomplish this. I think most of us imagine that Rabbi Akiva died if it was the time of Kriya Shema, it was the morning. It was the morning. That's our picture of it. But if you look in the Medrash, in the Yalkut Shemoni, Rabbi Kiva had a student. And the name of the student was Rabbi Yeshua Hagarsi. And he was with Rabbi Kiva in prison prior to his um, his murder. And he was with him Erev Yom Kippur. And the night of Yom Kippur... Yeshua Hagarsi gets a knock on his prison cell. He says, Who's there? It's a Koyen. Which Koyen? Elio Anabi. What happened? Your Rebbe. What happened to him? Your Rebbe was killed. So, in the Sefer Kamoitse Shalorov, I saw in the name of Rav Shmuel Meir of Eretz Yisrael that putting the Bavli together with the Yalkut Shemoni. If Rabbi Kiva died at the time of Kriya Shema, it wasn't Kriya Shema Shal Shachris, it was Kriya Shema Shal Arvis. And when, which day of the year, Rabbi Akiva was murdered the night of Yom Kippur. That being the case, Rabbi Shmuel Meir says that we begin Yom Kippur 
We begin Yom Kippur with a hidden eulogy for the great Tana Rabbi Akiva, who was murdered the night of Yom Kippur. Okay, that's what he says. It's a remez to the murder of the great Tana Rabbi Akiva. But I would humbly add that it's much deeper than that. Because I want to ask you a question. You ever notice, if you look in Shulchan Arach, the Shulchan Arach gives us a number of dates that are fast day, days. For example, the first day of Nisan is a fast day for the death of Aaron HaKoyin. And the tenth day of Nisan is a fast day for the death of Miriam. And on the twenty-sixth day of Nisan is the death of Yehoshua ben Nun. And the Shulchan Aruch says on the twenty-eighth of Iyar is the death of Shmuel. The Shulchan Aruch lists many, many fast dates of the death of various um, figures of the Torah. Uh, and yet, there is a one particular um, Yom HaPetira, one particular yard site, that we celebrate, that we rejoice. It's one of the happiest days of the year. Unfortunately, this past year, it was also a day of mourning. But in general, we know Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the Omer, which is the yard site of the Rajvi, Rav Shimbar Yechoi, the one who initiated Kabbalah, that day is a Yom Hilula, is a happy day, is a joyous day, is a day of Simcha. And it seems quite incongruous, the Chassam Seifer asks, he just doesn't get, why would the, the seventh day of Adar, the day Moshe Rabbeinu died, is a fast day. And the day Aaron HaKohen died is a fast day. And the day Shmuel Anavi died is a fast day. And the day Yeshua Ben Nun died is a fast day. And the day the Rajbi died is a happy day? I mean, uh, make up your mind over here. It seems quite incongruous. It seems quite inconsistent. That's the question of Sam Soifer. And Sam Soifer says, he doesn't really have an answer to this. He says, Vatayma Gufalayad, I have no idea what everyone's dancing about. The Sam Soifer writes, I would not participate in what's going on over there. But we know for generations, the Mekubalim, the Ari, the Chidah writes about this. They participated in the festivities of Lagba Omer. How is that consistent with what that which the Shulchan Aruch says? The day of the death of Moshe, of Aaron, of Yeshua are days of mourning. Comes Reb Tzadik and listen carefully. And Reb Tzadik of Lublin advances a wondrous teaching. He says in the Pre in Parshas Vayikra, a wondrous thing. He says there's a fundamental difference between the sages of the written law and the sages of the oral law. The Medrash tells us, on the Pasuk in Koheles, Divrei Chachomim Kadar Vanois Uchemas Merois Netuim Balei Asupois Nitnu Meroya Echad. The words of the sages are like pegs that are firmly implanted. And the Medrash asks, when are the words of a Talmud Chacham implanted in the hearts of the student? The Medrash says, on the day that they die. Because, says the Medrash, until a Torah sage dies, while a Torah sage is still alive, his teachings are not firmly implanted in the hearts of the students because the students said, okay, if I didn't understand this, I didn't understand that, I could always ask the Rebbe. But on the day that the Rebbe died, the student finally says, I must integrate and ingrain my Rebbe's teachings in my heart because I don't have him anymore. Says the Medrash, when is the Torah of a Rebbe implanted in the hearts of the student on the day of the Rebbe's Petira? Says Reb Tzedek Therefore, 
there's a major difference between the sages of the written law and the sages of the oral law. The sages of the written law, when they die, their teaching is not implanted in the heart of the student because their teachings are written down. So the student at any time could study the, the teachings of the Rebbe because everything is on black and white. It's written, it's kosov, it's, it's already, already b'ksiv, it's already written down. And therefore, when any of the sages of the written law pass away, the only thing that happens on that day is the sage died. And therefore, the day of the death of Moshe is a tragic day, it's a fast day. And the day of the death of Aaron is a tragic day. Because nothing happens when these sages die. Their teachings are not ingrained in the hearts of the student because their teachings are written down. But the sages of the oral law, we rely on the oral transmission. And on the day that they die is such a joyous day because that's the day that their teaching is engraved in the hearts of Klal Yisrael. And that's why the day of the Petir of a Tzaddik is a festive day, is a joyous day. So says Reb Tzaddik HaKayin, really the death of Rabbi Akiva should be such a festive day because Rabbi Akiva, the Gemara says, is the backbone of the oral law. And as we know, the primary Torah, the Klal Yisrael, is the oral law. And therefore, the death of Rabbi Akiva should be a joyous, happy day. Says Rabbi Tzadik HaKain, but he was murdered. And because he was murdered, we're not going to celebrate that day. Instead, we'll celebrate the day of the death of his illustrious student, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai. And that's why we celebrate Lagba Oimer. I would humbly take one turn from what Reb Tzadik HaKoyen says. Reb Tzadik HaKoyen says, really we should rejoice greatly on the day of the death of Rabbi Akiva because think about it. If we rejoice on Shavuos because that was the day the written law was given, then what day of the year should we rejoice like no other day? The day the oral law was given. Now, what day was the oral law given? The day Rabbi Akiva passed away. That's the day the oral law was ingrained on our hearts forever. So Rabbi Tzadik HaKoyen asked, so really we should rejoice on that day? And I would humbly suggest, we do. When was the day of the death of Rabbi Akiva? Yom Kippur. Friends, what's the happiest day of the year? The Gemara tells us, Lai hayu yamim tavim liyisrael. Yom Kippur is the happiest day of the year. The Gemara says, why? We know the second tablets were given on Yom Kippur. But now we're learning, not only was the written law given on Yom Kippur, the oral law, the Torah Shabbat Peh, was forever seared onto the hearts of Klal Yisrael on Yom Kippur. You know how? You know when? When Rabbi Akiva was murdered. When Rabbi Akiva was killed. That is when the oral law was seared onto the hearts of the Jewish people. I believe that Yom Kippur and Rabbi Akiva are inextricably bound. They are tied together. Rabbi Akiva is the soul of Yom Kippur. Rabbi Akiva is Yom Kippur. With the murder of Rabbi Akiva, the oral law, the Torah, was seared onto the hearts of the Jewish people forever. You think it's a coincidence that you know how we start Yom Kippur? Oh, here's a Rolat Sadik, Uli Yishrelev, Simcha. You think it's a coincidence that the first thing we mention as Yom Kippur begins is a Hespit for Rabbi Akiva? It's not incidental or coincidental. 
It's fundamental. It's definitional. You know what Yom Kippur is? Yom Kippur is Rabbi Akiva. With the patir of Rabbi Akiva, you know what was seared onto the hearts of Klal Yisrael? The teaching of Rabbi Akiva. Yesh kaina oilamai b'sha'achas. The value of every moment of life. You know what was seared onto the hearts of Jewish people with the patir Rabbi Akiva? The entire Tyra. I want to t- tell you an amazing chidosh of the chidah. The Bnei Yisachar says about this chidosh that even though this chidosh does not seem to be consistent with Shas, but because the chidah said it and he paskin this way down here in this world, that's how they paskin upstairs in Shemayim. The Chida says that even though if you look in the Gemara Masech Yuma, the Gemara says tshuva does not work for every kind of sin. Tshuva works if someone violated a mitzvah saseh. Someone violated a lav, they need tshuva and Yom Kippur. Someone violated a cardinal sin, a lav sheish by kares, then the Gemara says a person needs tshuva, Yom Kippur, and travails and difficulties in life. And then there are sins that, like desecrating God's name, that even more severe penalty, the Gemara says, is needed. Says the Chida, this is for someone who is not involved in learning Torah Lishma, learning Torah for its own sake, but somebody who is immersed and connected to Torah study, that itself erases all Chata and the Chida says. Now that's a high level. It's not easy to learn Torah purely for the sake of learning Torah, purely to bring Nachas Ruach for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But the Chidah says the highest form of tshuva is a connection, a devekos to Limar HaTayra. And now we understand what's fueling Yom HaKippurim. Yom HaKippurim is the day that God gave us the second tablets. Yom HaKippurim is the day that the oral law was seared onto the hearts of the Jewish people with the passing of Rabbi Akiva, who now we see from behind the scenes is playing such a pivotal role in the very definition and the fabric of Yom HaKippurim. We allude to him in the beginning of the day. He's the Tana of Yom Kippur. Amar Rabbi Akiva, says the great Tana Rabbi Akiva, Ashrechem Yisrael, how fortunate you are Jewish people. Lefnei miyatem etarim, before whom do you purify? And who purifies you? Avichem Shabashamayim. Rabbi Akiva represents, personifies the value of Yom HaKippurim and the value of every moment of life. If Rabbi Akiva was around, he would say, My dear children, look at the life of Sarah Imenu. Look how every moment of her life spelled eternal repercussion to her descendants. My dear children, God is giving you 24 hours with which you could change your eternity, you could change your reality, and it doesn't matter what was ever done before. In Sha'achas, in one moment of time, you too could elevate yourself, propel yourself, to come tachas to do a tshuva shalema give us the heavenly assistance to take advantage of these precious moments and these, this precious day and help us in our journey of tshuva 
if we could make even one small adjustment in our life that has eternal value. I wish all of you a Gemar Chasim I'm so honored to be able to participate in this uh, Torah Tuesdays. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for the Zuchos. I wish everybody Gemar Chasim and hope to see everybody in good health. Be'ezus Hashem. Be'yushalayim. Habenuya. Be'biyaz Gal Tzedek. Amen.